Well, if you have your Bible, you can open to 1 Samuel. And as you are turning there, I want to read you a quote and see if you can figure out who said this. Here's the quote. What a disappointment this century has been. We have seen in every country a dissolution, a weakening of those bonds, a challenge to those principles, a decay of faith, an abridgment of hope on which structure and ultimate existence of civilized society depends. We have seen in every part of the globe one great country after another, which has erected an orderly, peaceful, prosperous structure of civilized society, relapsing into hideous succession uh, into bankruptcy, barbarism, or anarchy. So who said that exactly 100 years ago? And the answer is Winston Churchill, uh, 1922. And you kind of think about what was happening in 1922. It was only four years after the Great War had ended, and uh, millions had died. There was uh, genocide in some parts of the world. There was the Spanish flu of 1918. Uh, it was a time of, of great uncertainty and a time of anxiety. And I certainly, uh, you know, think we can relate to that. And when I heard those words from Churchill, I, I thought not only of, uh, you know, coming through a pandemic and being anxious about that, but I thought about the time of the judges in the Bible, the, uh, a time of, of barbarism, anarchy, chaos, fear, um, you know, religious drift and apathy, uh, a dark time in Israel's life. And First Samuel uh, comes into that moment in Israel's history. First Samuel talks about the transition from being governed by the, these tribal warriors, these rescuers, the judges, into a time of being governed by a king. And um, it's an amazing book, First Samuel. I'm preaching through First Samuel at Resurrection right now. And uh, by the way, you all at Grace Mount Vernon have greatly helped me with First Samuel for two reasons. Number one, I call Dave Klein and bounce things off of him and say, am I understanding this right? And help me think through this passage. And number two, one of my go-to commentaries was written by someone named Phil Long. And so uh, that has been a tremendous resource. So I'm grateful for these brothers and how they have, how they have taught me. Um, so first Samuel, as I said, is about this time of transition. And, um, what's interesting to me is think about that transition from being governed by judges to being governed by a King. You would expect that chapter one would be like, this is the story of Saul, the first King, but no, it's not about that. And it's not even about Samuel. It's about Hannah. Yeah. It starts with Samuel's mother. Uh, ordinary woman in an obscure Israelite village experiencing deep sadness. Uh, one woman who is experiencing the brokenness of life, and she's feeling empty and helpless and longing for God to answer her prayers. And I, I certainly think we can identify with her. Uh, maybe, you have, maybe you have experienced this sense of helplessness over the last couple of years. Uh, and maybe it's not even the pandemic. Maybe it's a chronic illness. Uh, certainly everyone has sort of COVID exhaustion. 
And there are more and more articles about the toll it's taking on our mental health. Uh, maybe you have a sense of helplessness in your uh, career or your marriage or some other uh, relationship. And, and, and you feel like no one quite understands and nothing seems to change. And I think that sense of helplessness uh, comes to us all at some point. And that's what Hannah's situation is like. So this will speak to us this morning. So uh, let's look at it together. I will pray for us first, and then I'll read the passage, which is all of First Samuel chapter 1. So let's pray together. Father, we uh, ask that you would speak from your word, your word that gives life, and that we would be receptive, and that we would be open before you and pliable, and that you would be able to do your work, and we would not be kicking against that work, and that we would be encouraged and challenged by your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, but then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house 
went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah said, her husband said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So I want to look with you this morning at three points. Uh, Number one, Hannah's pain. And then secondly, Hannah's prayer. And then finally, Hannah's promise. So Hannah's pain, Hannah's prayer, and Hannah's promise. So uh, Hannah's pain. So what's the situation? There's this man named Elkanah, and he is from the hill country of Ephraim, which uh, Ephraim means fruitful. And that was one of the names of the uh, uh, one of the sons of Joseph. And uh, remember, Joseph said, uh, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction in Egypt. And, and so it's interesting here at the beginning of 1 Samuel, is God going to raise up another Joseph to rescue his people in this very dark time, uh, the period of the judges? Is God going to make them fruitful in the land of affliction or a time of affliction? At the same time, I'm not so sure about this, this clue about Ephraim, because that could be a negative as well, because it was, it was precisely in the hill country of Ephraim where... Um, at the end of the book of Judges, the last few chapters of Judges, it's really awful. This, these wicked men are doing heinous things and uh, women being treated as objects. And, and the spiritual leaders, uh, the Levites, were not serving the Lord. They were not calling people back to the Lord. And they were worshiping idols. So the, the fact that we're in the hill country of Ephraim could be hopeful or not. It's not quite clear at that point. Um, so Elkanah has this wife named Hannah. and another named Peninnah, and Peninnah has children, and she keeps on having lots of children, and Hannah has no children, and it's possible that Hannah had been um, his first wife, and that he, he loved her, but he wanted kids, and so he added the second wife, Peninnah, and, and we're not told all the details, but Hannah is barren, and, uh, and, and then, of course, to make matters worse, Peninnah's name uh, means the fruitful one, and she keeps on having more kids and more kids. And Hannah's name basically means favored one or grace. And, uh, and Hannah certainly doesn't feel very favored. And so, uh, and then Peninnah, uh, you know, makes it worse. She, she gloats about it. She provokes Hannah. She's, she's not sympathetic to Hannah. And, and perhaps some of that was even motivated by her own pain. If, if she knew that her husband loved Hannah more, um, and then there's Elkanah. He, he's a good man. He is, uh, he, he's trying to be helpful. He's trying to encourage Hannah. But, but look at what he does. Hannah is weeping, verse 
uh, seven, and she won't eat. And and Elkanah doesn't know what to do, so he does what we husbands do. He says something dumb. And he says, uh, you know, Hannah, why are you sad? At least you have me. You know, am I not worth 10 sons to you? Uh, which is just a good reminder. Husbands, don't, don't take that approach. Don't try this at home. Uh, honey, I know you're sad, but hey, you've got me. You know, that, that is lacking in emotional intelligence, we would say. And so Hannah is suffering, and, um, and then she has this rival who mocks her and, and humiliates her. And then her husband is nice but not helpful. And so, I mean, she's really alone. And can, can you identify with her? Uh, you might even have a situation right now in your life where you have a penina, a rival, a critic, a mocker, a, a, a reviler, uh, someone who, who, who pushes you down and makes you feel inferior all the time. And, and they look down on you. And then, and then you might have a, a, a husband or a friend or a wife who, who is with you and supportive, but they don't quite get it. And, and they don't know what to say, and they don't say the right thing. You know, so the question then is, where are you going to turn? Where are you going to turn? It would be understandable if, if Hannah got angry with Elkanah and tried to uh, uh, retaliate against Peninnah. She could have tried to deny her pain. She could have tried to numb her pain. But, but Hannah is such a, a, a good example for us. She, she takes it to the Lord. She takes her pain to the Lord. And she pours out her soul to the Lord, you know, because it's nice when there's no rival and it's nice when there's no mocking. It's nice when the husband says helpful things, but even if they don't, you have the Lord. He is with you. You might have a rival, but you have a rock and a redeemer. You might have a clueless husband, but God is your divine bridegroom and your wonderful counselor. You might have a mocker, but you have a mighty one of Jacob who sees it all. He knows. He understands everything. And he's committed to you. And he's all-powerful. And so you take it to him. He is close to you. He's available. And so we cry out to him. We don't give up. God has a proven track record of, of, of working in precisely these kinds of moments. You know, Hannah's not the first barren woman in scripture. Abraham's wife, Sarah, and then Rebecca, and then Rachel, and then Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And I kind of got to thinking about that. Why does God seem to use this as a recurring pattern? Uh, and I think maybe it's something about barrenness, which, which absolutely makes it just impossible for us to think, I can fix this. I have a workaround. I can... I can come up with my own solution. Uh, the creation of a human life is just, just doesn't work that way. God has to do it. And so uh, when we are empty, when things are, seem humanly impossible, God hears us and God answers. And his answers are not cookie cutter. They are not a one size fits all. Not every single woman who prays for a child has a child. But God always answers out of his perfect goodness and his wisdom and his love. He's not going to give us everything we want. It's bigger than that. He's going to give us what we need and what his people need in community. 
and what the world needs through us. And so that's, that's a little bit about Hannah's pain. Now, let's look at Hannah's prayer. And um, I want to set this up by mentioning a story I saw in the news a couple of days ago. I don't know if you read this, but there was a story about the exhausted moms in Boston. And they had, uh, you know, the pandemic had been so draining, and they just wanted to scream. And so that's what they did. Uh, they'd held it in for two years. And so that about 20 moms went to a high school football field, and they went to the 50-yard line, and they stood in a circle, and for 20 minutes, they screamed. And they raged. And, and these voices, the way it was described was these voices that carried sort of years of pain could finally be released. And uh, there were different rounds of screaming, by the way. There was one round of normal screaming. There was one round of swearing. You were allowed to swear. Uh, there was a combination free-for-all round. And I'm not trying to give us any ideas for our breakout rooms after the service, but um, it definitely brought home uh, how difficult the last couple of years have been. And, and what do you do with your frustration? How do you deal with it when you're burned out, when you are um, depleted, and when you are brokenhearted? Where do you take it? And, and as I said, Hannah takes it to the Lord. And you see that in verses 10 and 11. She, she says, O Lord of hosts. And that's interesting. She, she addresses the Lord as the God of the heavenly armies, the God of hosts, sovereign God, God of power. You know, I read my Bible reading that this part in Revelation where there's like 200 million of the heavenly host. And God has these heavenly armies at his disposal. And she cries out to the Lord of hosts, but she's assuming that he also is a Lord who, who sees one woman in the hill country of Ephraim. One broken woman, the same God, a transcendent God, but a God who cares about me personally. And then what she does is interesting. She says, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant. Uh, and she's, she's pulling from the language of Exodus chapter 3, when uh, the Lord saw the affliction of his people in Egypt, saw their suffering under the tyranny of Pharaoh, remembered them. And she's, she's pulling that historical moment of her, her uh, ancestors into the present moment. And uh, she takes what she knows of God's character from that Exodus story, and she says, God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and so I'm going to apply that to my situation. He is that God for me, and that's what we've got to do. That's such an important thing in the Christian life is to, we, we take our cues uh, from what God has revealed about his character in the past and the ways that he has dealt with his people, and we, we apply that to us. We we put our confidence in what uh, God has revealed about himself in the Exodus rather than what I can see at the moment with my limited vision. And so that, that's called living by faith, right? You, you trust that God is who he says he is and that he will still be faithful to his people in the present moment. And so she, she, uh, she makes this vow, Lord, I will give my son to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. And, you know, is she bargaining with God here? Is this, is this something we can do? <laughs> Are we allowed to say these kinds of things? I, I don't think she's really bargaining because if you think about it, 
she's been praying year after year for a child. And what would you expect if she, if, if the Lord were to answer that prayer, uh, you'd expect her to be possessive of that child and to never let that child out of her sight and, and not to give him up. And so I think the fact that her vow is to give him up to the Lord is proof that this is not about bargaining to get her way. This is about God's purposes. And she is um, seeing her life as caught up in that larger story. And she is surrendering her life to God's purposes. And she also pulls in that language from the Nazarite vow in Numbers chapter six about no razor shall touch his head. She's not just thinking about what she wants. She's thinking about uh, the framework of the entire covenant God made with his people. And so it, she, that's, that's important for us. We, we put our prayers in a bigger framework. It's not just give me what I want, but Lord, I have this desire. Would you answer in such a way that it'll be a blessing to my brothers and sisters and to the extension of your kingdom? Uh, and again, that is the life of faith. That's the life of seeking first God's kingdom. And then you see Eli's response in verse uh, 12. He sees this woman uh, her her lips are moving, but she's not saying anything out loud. And he, he takes her to be drunk and he misjudges the situation. And obviously you'd hope that a, a priest with as much experience as Eli would, would recognize prayer. Uh, and either it's the failing eyesight, which we read about later, or maybe it's that prayer is relatively uh, infrequent in those days in, in the tabernacle, that it's more common to see other things. We know from chapter two that uh, Hophni and Phinehas are doing other things at the tabernacle and that's not good. And so um, whatever the case, Hannah has to correct his, his misunderstanding. No, I'm not pouring out wine or a strong drink. I'm, I'm pouring out my heart. And she says, don't regard your servant as a worthless woman. And that, that term worthless is, uh, is one that gets applied to Hophni and Phinehas in the next chapter. They are, they're wicked men. They're worthless men. And, uh, and she's saying, I'm not worthless. I'm seeking the Lord. I'm speaking out of my great anxiety and my vexation. And then she says um, in verse, or no, Eli says in verse 17, go in peace and may the Lord grant you your petition. And then she says, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And she goes away and her spirits are lifted. And, and she hasn't even really, uh, the circumstances haven't changed yet. And yet she now is, she's been encouraged by, and I think I, I feel that way sometimes when I go and just pour it out to the Lord, I, you know, go on a long bike ride and just pour everything out to the Lord and you feel encouraged, even if the circumstances aren't, aren't changed yet, because you know, you gave it to the one who, who can do something about it. And so uh, she's comforted also by Eli's encouragement. And so that's, that's her prayer. And then final point is about the promise, this uh, promise in verses 19 and 20, where she is going to commit her son to the Lord. She names him Samuel. And, uh, you know, that's a good name. I like that name. I, I gave my son that name. We have, uh, actually, uh, when I preached this sermon, uh, at resurrection, somebody said, did you realize that you said all the names of your kids in the sermon? I said, no, I did not. Uh, because I have a, a Elizabeth, a Rebecca, Hannah, and Sam. And so here is Samuel. It's a name that um, there's a lot of wordplay going on with his name because the root word underneath that is, is to ask, to ask for something. 
And that, that root word shows up seven times in this chapter. And what's interesting is uh, it also shows up a lot later in the story with the uh, Israel asking for a king, asking for Saul. And there may be sort of a, a hint uh, of what is to come, uh, that there's sort of a contrast between Hannah's way of asking and Israel's way of asking. And so uh, Hannah's showing us how, how it should be done. <laughs> Hannah is exemplary. Hannah has the character, the heart for God, uh, that, that that's kind of the looming question is, if Israel gets a king, will the king have the heart for God or just the title and just the status and the position? Or is he going to be a man after God's own heart? And so, so she uh, gives birth to Samuel, names him Samuel, and then uh, follows through on her, her vow. And, and that wasn't easy. You know, let's not let's not just assume that was easy for her. Um, maybe you can understand that. Maybe even right now, in a situation that you're dealing with, to to give your child to the Lord, and it's not easy to wait on His timing in their lives. It's not easy to to sort of uh, adjust to the to different seasons in the relationship with your children, and to to relinquish control and, and, and no longer be the main influence in their life and the main voice in their life and trust that God is working and he's using other voices. You know, we, one of our kids uh, really gave us a run for our money in those teen years. And, and now she moved away. She's almost 20 and she, we love getting her texts that she, she's telling us, this is what I happened at my church. And this is what I'm seeing in Sunday school. And it just warms your heart to say, okay, Lord, you, you had your hand on her, uh, even when we, we doubted that, and, and you are working in her life. And so Hannah, um, there's a lot of lessons we could learn from Hannah about that. A lot of lessons in general about obedience, uh, about perspective, about trust. Uh, one thing for sure I don't want to miss is the fact that she, she sees herself as a servant of the Lord. Maybe you noticed that in verse 11, she kept on using, look on the affliction of your servant. Don't forget your servant. Give your servant a son. She keeps on using that term to describe herself, which I think is so important that, um, that we are servants of the Lord. And, and she, she wants to uh, put her life in that bigger framework. Um, you know, I, I think that's challenging for us. I mean, when you, when you think, okay, I'm a member, uh, I'm a part of Grace Mount Vernon. Um, what do you mean by that? Do you mean, well, I'm living my life and, and I've got my personal concerns and I've got my desires and my family and I, and I bring all those to the Lord and the church kind of gives me a boost on those things, which is helpful. Or, uh, it, you know, is my being a servant of the Lord mean that I have, a, I have a, an obligation to, to use my time and my gifts to serve these people and to build them up? Uh, is being part of a church family just going to get some information on a Sunday and then uh, or get you know encouraged for the week ahead and then go back into sort of my kingdom my my world my agenda um, and I think that's challenging you know we often present our desires I know I do we often present our desires to the Lord and and leave it at that and it never occurs to me to say Lord fit that request into your bigger uh, plan and fit that request into your people and, and how uh, the world needs to see the love of Christ. And so, but Hannah's doing this. Hannah wraps up her desires with the story of the whole nation. In fact, uh, 
her story and the way God answers it is kind of a microcosm of the whole story of Israel, right? Because uh, Samuel uh, starts with Hannah, the book of Samuel starts with Hannah, not just to show us that God cares about individuals, but to show us that God's people, Israel, at that moment are spiritually barren. They, it's this period of the judges, the chaos, the idolatry, division, the, the decline and the, the, the failure of spiritual leadership. But here in chapter one, finally, there's someone who has a heart for God, and that's Hannah. And God is going to answer, and it's going to be a sign of things to come. It's, it's going to be a preview of an anointed king who will be a man after God's own heart. And, and, and God is going to raise up this man, Samuel, first, as a, as a, as a prophet and a judge. And he's going to be a man who, who listens to God, a man who doesn't just have the title and the status and the position, but actually has a heart for God. He actually has the reality of a living relationship with God. And, uh, and he will lead God's people. And then out of that will come, of course, the anointing of, of a king and, and first Saul and then David. But God uh, sees our affliction. He sees our helplessness. And he, he raises up a faithful leader. And that's really the storyline of the whole Bible, uh, that, that we are barren. We are lifeless. We are, you know, Ephesians 2, we are dead. You know, we're not just sick, we're dead. And we cannot save ourselves. We cannot give ourselves life. We cannot generate vitality and hope and peace. And so we need a miracle. And, and so Paul says in Ephesians 2 that um, you know, without a work of God, we are without hope and without God. But at just the right time, God raised up one to rescue us. He sends his own son. And, and because of that, because of Christ, we can know that whatever we're facing, that he sees our affliction and he has a track record of sending help. And we can cry out to the Lord and we can pour our hearts out to him. And we can entrust everything to, to him. So I would just ask you this morning, will you do that? Will you trust him? Will you take your pain to him? Don't, don't keep it in. Take it to the Lord and, and see it in the light of this bigger story. Hannah is so, so inspiring. Uh, she could have been swallowed up by her pain, but she puts it in the context of the Exodus and what God had revealed about his character and she resisted the urge to fight or flight. And she resisted the urge to contempt and to bitterness and retaliation. And she takes it to the Lord. And so I would just encourage you to do that, to, to follow in Hannah's footsteps. And, and, and know that God sees your situation. He cares about you. He will answer you. He, his answers may not map out uh, exactly the way that you think they should but they will be the best answers. If, if you knew everything he knows, you would know that his answers are the best. And they'll be the best for, for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. They will be the best answers for his purposes and for his people and for the defeat of evil in the end. And they will be the best answers to make us truly holy and happy and to bring him glory. And so we can really learn a lot from Hannah. There's so much more. There's about 10 sermons, right, in this passage from Hannah. But let's, let's just, uh, if nothing else, let's remember that the Lord is like this, and he does see us. He knows. 
and we can pour our hearts out to him and we can have confidence because of the gospel. He's proved it at the cross and in the resurrection. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we believe these things, but would you help us to, to truly believe them moment by moment and to lean into these realities and to, to trust that you are faithful and you do understand and you are a God of compassion and you are a God who has made this covenant with us to be our God, to one day wipe away all tears. And in the meantime, you have given us your presence that we see glimpses of that glorious day. And help us to live by faith, Lord. Help us to pour our hearts out to you each day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.